Genesis chapter 32. We'll start with verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the break of the day. This would have been a theophany or God appearing in some form. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Who wants a blessing from the Lord? I want a blessing from the Lord. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men hast prevailed power with God as a prince power with men are you seeing that and Jacob asked him he said tell me I pray thee thy name and he said wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name the name of God was not yet to be revealed and he blessed him there and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved and as he passed over Penuel the sun rose upon him he halted upon his thigh oh. his hollowed thigh therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day for whatever animal that they might eat they won't eat that meat because God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank we need the Lord today. And I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit would guide us in this moment. And Father, I thank you for your word. Your presence is in this house. And I pray you'd anoint me to preach your anointed word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Would you just put your Bibles down behind you? Would you just offer God a praise one more time before you're seated? I thank you for that. Amen. And I thank you. you may be seated. Paul once spoke of King David as a man who served his own generation by the will of God. It is a telling statement that gives light to relevancy. David fought the battles that confronted him in his day. Jeremiah the prophet did the same. He preached to the current. He prophesied based on the unrelenting hearts of the current environment. These are joined by a thousand preachers and prophets who faced the spirit of their age and led as many as would follow through the maze of carnality, conflict, and confusion. I too stand here today compelled to preach what God has given. 
It is the plight of all men to offer only what the Lord has said. I want to serve my own generation according to the will of God. For those of you who may be a little new to new life, there was a day many years ago that Tammy and I preached around the country as evangelists. I didn't need a new sermon. I just needed a new place to preach an old sermon. Now, these days... Every day I ask God to give me the fresh manna for the church. Every day. As we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, there is a promise of an end time revival. Joel spoke of it. You'll hear this again in this house, so I hope you don't get weary of it. There must be a hunger for a mighty revival. People of all ages and backgrounds need to find the Lord for the first time. Prodigals by the hundreds need to feel the ministry of reconciliation in this house. The unbeliever needs a reason to believe and there are many, many more. We are living, ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a small open window of freedom to teach the gospel. It won't get any easier going forward. The day is pressing. Even prophetic teachings. In those prophetic teachings, America is not for certain. And to all of that, I'm preaching what the Spirit has called me to preach today. I'm moving in a place I have not been heretofore. I'm leaning on the Lord every day for every word. All of us are desperate for the wisdom that comes from above. There is a heightened awareness in my own heart and spirit. I believe that all the believers are feeling the pressure of this hour. All of us desire to see and experience an overflow of baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of us are looking for it in our time. And I want us, new life, to position ourselves so that we can be trusted with the harvest, the people. The church of Jesus Christ in this hour is reaching for the people of our community, of our city, your neighbors, friends, family, people you do not know. We are commissioned by the Lord to baptize. That is his commission to baptize. We are to spread truth. Say it, truth. The gospel, the apostolic doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, it was delivered by Jesus Christ himself. That is the commission of the Lord. But I am led today to speak to all of you, the saints. Are you ready to hear this word? Mm. It's going to take more than just truth to reach our world. Stay with me now. I know that if you tune me out right now, you will conclude the wrong thing. I'll say it again. Truth alone is not enough to bridge the gap between the lost and the Lord. I want to reach our city. I want to reach our community. I think every church needs to do it. Too many are lost and too many people today are hopeless and they have no hope. This is a day when we have to position ourselves. And so I draw your attention to our text. We're looking at these families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man, if you struggle with your family and you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. These families struggled. They had some major dysfunctionality in their families. Take note of the family issues of Abraham and Sarah. Favoritism is one of the many issues among them. Abraham and Sarah guarded Isaac and dismissed Ishmael. It will become an infection in their lineage. Think of it. 
Their disregard and ultimate dismissal of a still very young Ishmael will teach Isaac, the half-brother, the half-brother of Ishmael, the full son of Abraham and Isaac, it will teach Isaac a destructive lesson in partiality. Isaac will grow into a father himself. He will use the same tools of division with his own sons. Favoritism and preferential treatment will be the casting mold that forms the lives and their days. Isaac and Rebekah then will raise two sons with opposing views. Listen to the division set in the scripture. Isaac's preference and then the heart of a defending mother who takes up the cause of, cause of her forgotten son. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac preferred Esau, the hunter, the firstborn, the strong man. And in response, Rebekah, mama, exacted her support for Jacob, the less than. Jacob became the, became the subplanter, the deceiver. He developed his name when he tricked Esau and took the birthright. While Esau was rash and impulsive, Jacob stole what did not belong to him. It is a divided house. Isaac is oblivious to the angst and Rebecca is plotting and planning. Rebecca will carry it out though she provides all the means for Jacob to do the action. He puts it into action. She has done it herself also. Isaac in his final days of living now, the depth of deception levied upon a blind and feeble father here. It's bitter and it's telling. Isaac is ready to speak blessings to his eldest son out of his mouth. Esau has gone to the field to hunt for meat to serve what could be Isaac's final meal. But while Esau is gone, Jacob has entered into the door to receive what does not belong to him. Isaac knows he can't see very well. He is blinded. His age is crippling him. He knows something is wrong, but he pushes past his own doubt. Here's the Bible. The voice, he said, is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Here's the next verse. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy and his brother Esau hands as his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him. The words of Isaac will only be spoken once. The blessing will only be given once and would not be rescinded. Think of the moment, everyone. It's critical to our day of turmoil and civil unrest. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us about truth and about revival. He's leading us into a position that we must assume if we are going to be the body of Christ in the last days. We have truth, but we need temperament. Isaac is speaking. A blessing is being given. It will not be adjusted or revised. Push aside your view of fairness for a moment. Blessings, the words, they meant something. They were precious. They were valuable. They were meaningful. They culminated in real authority, prosperity, and position. Rebecca knew it to be true. That is why she went to such great lengths to conceal the identity of Jacob. She made the venison. She gathered the clothes from Esau's closet. She put them on 
Jacob to wear. She ordered the timing for the final blessing and she did it because she knew the value of Isaac's spoken words. Make no mistake, Jacob was not innocent in the matter. He also acted deceitfully. He also engaged in a lie. His was a treachery to pirate away the provisions of Abraham's covenant. Read it in your Bible. Isaac blessed Jacob, but he thought it was Esau. Isaac emptied himself of the words onto Jacob's life like cool water on a parched ground. It soaked it up. There was nothing left. And Isaac said over Jacob, therefore God give thee the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let the people serve thee and the nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Can you imagine? And let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Curse be everyone that cursed thee. Bless be everyone that will bless thee. The blessings are there. The blessing was spoken and then it was over. And Isaac is exhausted. The timing has come. It will never come again. Isaac is pushing back, unaware of what has happened. He's reclining back into his bed. Jacob is putting things in order, gathered his own things for his eventual and inevitable escape. All of it happening in succinct motion as one domino falling into another. And now the eldest son enters in. Esau is there with meat in hand. Ears ready to hear, heart open to receive. I'm here, Dad. I'm here. I'm ready for the birthright. Speak the blessing. Isaac, this aging and blind father, extends his trembling hand. Genesis 30, 27, 32. Who art thou? He said, I'm my son, thy firstborn, Esau. It's too late. The deception is now in full view. What Isaac could not see for his physical limitation has become crystal clear. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that taketh the venison and brought it to me? Where did he go? I've eaten it before you came. I blessed him. Yea, he shall be blessed. I won't rescind it. And then all the sorrow, he saw falls to his knees. And now both father and son are weeping over the loss. Esau pleads with his father. Hast thou one more blessing, my father? Bless me. Read the word. Even me also, oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. There's nothing left. The moment is tragic in every way. A family division, disrespect, deceit, division. Perhaps that is the progression of demise. Disrespect, deceit, and division. Disrespect, deceit, and division. And things just blow up. Brothers are at odds. Brothers have been divided. In verse 41, it says this, And Esau hated Jacob. The bitterness will not soon fade. Jacob will run. He'll spend two decades away from home. His life will be spent working for another man. His labor will be taken for granted. He himself will be the object of deception. Jacob has gone, but the memory of his lie has lived on. He's still Jacob. He's still the subplanter, the deceiver. He's Jacob, literally seized by the heel, his name says. He came into this world grasping the heel of his older brother. The Hebrew meaning for Jacob is to follow, to be behind. It also means to supplant, circumvent, assail, overreach. It comes from the word heel or Jacob, Jacob. Jacob's time in the house of his father-in-law will run its course. Jealousy now surrounds him. The covenant blessing begins to manifest itself. It causes his father-in-law grief and jealousy and hatred. And Jacob's wealth has grown. Nothing can stop it. God is with the one who holds the covenant. 
God's promise will endure. The man Jacob, as unsavory and unethical as he might have been in his prior years, he is still the keeper of the covenant. But the day comes for Jacob to return back to the land of his father. He must go back. He has what every man would want in his day. Cattle and sheep and goats and servants and children and wealth. But what he really wants most is to unite with his brother. He wants to go back home. Esau hated him and Jacob knew it. Esau was a here it ladies and gentlemen. Esau was a brother scorned. There had to be reconciliation but Esau was a brother wounded. I'll give you the word. I hope you write it down. Remember it. Proverbs 18 verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A brother, a brother scorned, a wounded brother, something of value taken from him. The brother is hard to be won, harder than a fortified city. The contentions, the strife, the Bible says, is like the weighty bars of a castle. A brother offended, it's hard to win back. A brother scorned, mistreated, hard to reconcile. Hard, but not impossible. It's not impossible. And the scripture will show the way through a midnight encounter between the Lord and Jacob. And Jacob is on his way back when he hears that Esau is waiting for him. He's just ahead. And Jacob is now desperate for God. Life has tempered this once reckless, conniving second son of Isaac. Reciprocal wounds have taught him lessons he needed to learn. Esau is just ahead. And Jacob stops to pray. He's at Peniel. He needs to find God, this time with intentionality. He will not leave here saying, God was here and I didn't know it. He's got to find God. He's in search of God. Jacob is desperate for an answer. How do you resolve the anger between brothers? How do men meet in the middle? What is it that provokes and invokes peace instead of chaos? Love instead of hate? Hope instead of fear? And I'm asking the question right now for us, for our nation, for our city, for our communities. How can the church, the people of the name, bridge the gap? (laughs) I didn't think there'd be a lot of shouting right now. I gave you that last week. (sighs) We'll get to it. I got to say it. It needs to be said. Racism. And racial divisions are just synonyms for sin. Racism is nothing more than hate. And hate is the destruction of the world. How can we shine a light in a world so filled with anger, malice, and wrath? We want revival. We want to reach the lost. We want to have an end time outpouring. But speaking the truth is not enough. Hear it. God has a plan for Jacob to recover a brother scorned and it comes in the midnight hour. They're wrestling in that evening hour. It's a long prayer meeting as Jacob toils under the burden of facing a wounded brother until finally the theophany, God will stay no longer. Here's the word. When he saw that he prevailed not against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. He wrestled with him. Think of the power we have to constrain God. That God could not get away. No element, animal, kingdom, or demonic force can constrain the Lord like those who are desperate in prayer. The affection.
effectual fervent prayer it avails much the prayer of the intercessor the prayer of men and women in need like the hunger of a starving soul calling out for God holding on for dear life I'm telling you today it will avail much I'm not talking about a mumbling repetitive prayer I'm not talking about a ceremonial recital Jacob was crying out for a blessing of God a God's making whatever blessing you want no prerequisites no demands no specifics just God bless me my brother awaits and I need a blessing whatever you make God and in God's mind the blessing was a name and a change truth and temperament real conversion is a name and a change and God said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God with men, you have prevailed. Jacob, I'm moving you away from the subplanter, and I'm moving you into power. You're no longer going to be called a deceiver. You're not going to be the lowest of men, but you will be as a prince. You're going to have power with God, and you're going to have power with men. And God changed the name, but he did not leave it there. I hope you're hearing this with your spiritual ears and with your open heart. Something else happened in that evening hour that was just as significant as the new name. The Lord touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and it forever changed the way that Jacob walked. His joint was out of place. It was damaged. Hear it. God literally crippled Jacob. So that from that moment, he would no longer walk as a self-sufficient, arrogant man. Jacob would favor that leg for the rest of his life. He would walk with a limp for the rest of his life. He would have an uneven gait for the rest of his life. His new walk, which was nothing less than a blessing from God, removed the view of achievement or sufficiency from him. Can you hear this? Jacob would approach his wounded brother without vanity and without pride. His new spiritual God-given appointed name combined with an obvious lack of physical human strength was the way that God prepared to recover Esau's lost soul. Come to find out, ladies and gentlemen, humility is the only way to conquer a well-fortified city. Humility is the only way to break the iron bars of a, of a closed castle. Solomon said it. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Yes, Jacob, you've got a new name, but now I'm going to give you a new approach. We have the name, ladies and gentlemen, the name of Jesus, and that name is truth. There is no other name like Jesus' name. It is the basis for all things that we do, and whatsoever the Bible says ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That's why we're baptized in Jesus' name. The Bible says that the name of Jesus is the only name, and the name of Jesus is only in dispute by those who do not read the Bible. His name is the only saving name, because neither, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
have the name. There's power in the name. We have authority over the devil because of the name. We have power and dominion because of the name. His name is the revealed God of the Old Testament. He is the I am that I am. Jehovah has become our salvation. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the self-proclaimed almighty. There is no truth like that truth and we have it. We know his name. John wrote it. He had on his vesture a name written the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I say today to all of the saints of God, his name is a gift. It's a gift to mankind. Oh, yes, it is. But what grieves me is that we embrace the gift, but we reject the gate. We want the gift. We don't want the gate. We like the truth, but we're not tempered. The Jews remember the moment of Jacob's midnight prayer and their daily food. That's why they would not eat the meat of the lamb or of the ox or of the cattle that was joined or associated with Jacob's affliction. They wanted to remember the means by which reconciliation came to be. And I read it to you in the text. I want to preach to our world today. But truth cannot just be spoken. Truth alone is going to cut down a person. It can damage the heart of the hearer if it stands alone. You should never go and tell people the truth about themselves. That'll hurt somebody. <laughs> yeah, try that. You're looking a little heavy these days. <laughs> You got Corona belly. <laughs> it might be true, but you ought not say it. It might be true. Why is your car always, always dirty? Just let it alone. <laughs> you don't tell the truth all the time about everybody because that will cut them down. You don't, you don't offer truth. That's not what the Bible says. Paul never told us to speak the truth. Oh, Lord, help us. I'm in the Word. you got to get in the Word or just get in my brain. <laughs> I'll give you the Scripture because I'm going to preach the book. I'm in the book today. This is what Paul said, Ephesians 4 and 15. But speaking the truth in... But speaking the truth in love. That's how truth in love is the only way to win a brother. The spirit of humility must be the approach of the church to the world. The truth in love is the only way to preach the truth. I'm not talking about passivity or shyness. Humility does not mean unassertiveness or lack of confidence. It means an absence of pride. It means an absence of self-promotion. It means an absence of arrogance. I'm leading this church and I pray God will help us to do it. We've got to be truth in love. The gospel has got to be given with grace. Can you hear this? Exclusivity in the new birth experience has got to be accompanied by acceptance to everybody and for everybody. We are trying to position ourselves with a spirit of humility and mercy. And for the life of me, I wish most of you would just turn off the news. The news networks are not helping you. They're corrupting your spirit so that you will get online and say something ignorant that you don't know anything about. Hear me. If you're going to be saved, it's not just going to be the truth. It's going to be truth in love that's going to save you.
from where I'm standing. There's not a heaven for white folks. There's not a heaven for black folks. There's not a heaven for yellow folks. There's not a heaven for any cultural folks. There's only one heaven. There's only one truth. There's only one God. There's only one love. There's only one baptism. I got to preach it to somebody. You got to know this today. I can't affect everyone, but what if new life became the symbol and the emblem about the body of Jesus Christ and how it really ought to work? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So sorry, people at home. I'm supposed to stand right here. They said, don't move around, Pastor. Just stand, okay. Did you see it in the Bible? Look in the scripture. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Came as a servant, took on the likeness of man. That's verse 7. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Here's two verses later. Verse 9. God gave him a name which is above every name. Did you catch it? Looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? In fact, by today's standards, it's a clear contradiction. By human standards, verse 7 and verse 9 oppose each other. No reputation, but a name above every name. Herein lies definitive proof that a name is not the same as a reputation. Think It's adult class. Jesus was given a name. All are going to bow before the name. But he made himself of no reputation. I probably don't need to go down this road. But a bad reputation always proves damaging to the name. How could it be that he had the greatest name but made himself of no reputation? You see, here's the thought here that God's trying to instill in the people. He came differently. No one wants truth if it comes with anger and fury. But speaking the truth in love that ye may grow thereby, Jesus was the incarnate embodiment of truth, but he came meek and lowly. I love the name and I love the truth and I'm giving up the doctrine. I will not give up the doctrine of Jesus Christ, nor am I going to water down the essentiality of baptism of water and spirit. But there is a calling from the Holy Spirit that we've got to work on our approach with love and humility. The healing of brothers begins with humility. The nation and the church needs to see a humble leader, a humble leadership, a humble congregation, a humble body of Christ. The nation needs to see it. Jesus name people called by the name. What would we do? What could we do if we approached everyone with humility, careful consideration? A walled city must be won. A castle with iron bars must be taken. And the need and the way is through love and humility. I've been in this truth all of my life. I was born in this. And there are some folks who were raised in the church and their fathers were raised in the church and their mothers and their grandfathers and grandmothers were raised in the church. And 
there's little code words that people say. I figured them out when I was younger. Code. When Paul wrote, such were some of you, but such were some of you. Adulterers, fornicators, liars, drunkenness, whoremongers, but such were some of you, but now you're washed. Some of those second, third, fourth generation people don't believe that applies to them. When they say, but such were some of you, they're saying, you. Such were some of you. I mean, you. These are code words. When they say, I just don't have a testimony like you have. I just wasn't in the world like you were. I've just always been in the church code. I've always been saved. I was born saved. Uh-oh. I know what they're saying. Whenever they, you never hear them say, I just don't have a testimony. What they're saying is, you're the sinner. I'm the saved. Uh-huh. And that spirit, that arrogant spirit revolves and, and it swirls in the churches. It's an underlying unspoken thing. Not reveal. I'm going to pull back all the stuff today. I'm going to tell you, well, we're going to get real. We're going to be genuine. I'll pull back all that stuff. We got to get rid of all the arrogancy. I'm going to tell you what, if your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, if you can track your lineage way back to Moses, you are still born in sin. You are still going to a devil's hell. You are still lost. You still needed the blood of Jesus. You still needed the cross of Calvary. You were not born saved. You were born lost in sin did my mother conceive me i was born in sin i gotta get out of it come on i'm gonna tell you what everybody's got to confess i need the lord for confession with the mouth i've got to confess i need god i'm a sinner and i need god that's not how it always is you see because the longer you're in church watch pastor now hear it The longer you're in the church, the more you forget where you came from. You know who who has the most compassion? Even Jesus said it. I'll tell you why he gives praise. Because when people are forgiven much, they praise much. They're thankful much. When you start to forget what God did for you and where you came from, you'll start to look at people a little different and you'll forget your gate and you'll stand upright and you'll say, well, this is the truth. You ought to start walking with humility in your step. You ought to remember what God did for you in the midnight hour. He didn't just give you a new name. He gave you a new walk and a new disposition and a new life. No! I'm going to tell you what love is. It is the tangible aspect of respect and honor and understanding. Love is not a word. It's an action. It's an action verb. And if the church in the last day really wants to see revival of unbelievers, then we must do more than just tell people truth. We've got to show them love. And I know there's some people who hear this going to take my words out of context. They're probably going to denounce what I say. But I'll say it anywhere. I, I'll say it anyway. I, I've thrown caution to the wind. I don't know. Quarantine has just made me rough. <laughs> I'll say it. I'm preaching it. Do not demand the heart of Jesus if you're not willing to offer the hand of Jesus. And there is a difference. Don't demand doctrine if you have no compassion. The letter killeth, the spirit brings life. Uh, so let me just qualify because I know I've got to. 
Lord only knows who's going to hear this little part and move on. Say, well, I don't know if I want to believe that preacher. Hear me. I love the doctrine. My life is devoted to the apostolic doctrine. I've memorized as many scriptures as I could possibly jam into my brain right now. But the acceptance of the doctrine, here it comes after the physical hands of love and mercy. Ruth, go look in your Bible. Ruth, there's a book in the Bible called Ruth. Ruth did not love Jehovah. No, she did not. She did not know Jehovah, the God of Israel. No. Ruth loved Naomi. Ruth was a Moabite, and the Moabites were arch enemies of Israel. Ruth had no desire for the law of Moses. Her desire was to be with Naomi. Ruth loved Naomi because Naomi loved her. It was grace and tenderness and that of Naomi that converted the mind of Ruth. It was the acceptance of Naomi that won the heart of Ruth. And from that platform of love came the word and the presence of Yahweh. Some of us have been trying to get people connected with Jesus without inserting ourselves in the process. If they fall in love with you, they'll accept any doctrine you give them. That's why, that's why when there is acceptance in the Muslim community and they're growing by leaps and bounds, most of those people that are now joining Islam, most of them don't even know Islam, but they're being accepted. There's a group with open arms. What would happen with the church? With the church, if we opened up our arms and said, we love you, we care about you, we want to be with you, we want to help you, here's our arms and our hands. Stand with me now. I'm, I feel like I should just end right here. I don't know how all this has gone and you're hearing, but I know that I have to preach this word. We have the gospel. We know the revelation of this incarnate God. We know our world is hurting. Millions are bound by fear, anger, doubt, conflicted with loss. There is generational poverty, ladies and gentlemen. Generational poverty. We know truth, but just saying that they should believe on Jesus is not enough. And I go back to the scripture one more time. 2 Corinthians 7. If my people which are called by my name, that's truth, that's the name. And here's the first action of the people called by the name. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. No one can humble you. They can humiliate you, but they cannot humble you. You have to humble yourself. So Jacob, I'm giving you a new name, like a prince with power with God and with men. But I'm also going to give you a new approach. Jacob, when your wounded brother sees you approach him, he's going to know there's no pride in you. He'll see you walk with no arrogance, no pomp or conceit, no superiority or sufficiency ask yourself the question why did God do that why did he touch the hollow of his thigh why did God cripple this man and I say to you the reason why because he's trying to teach everyone this is how reconciliation occurs oh God I pray I pray for our church Lord 
I pray against the devil that would try to divide our church. I pray against the spirit of the age that would try to cause division in this house. I thank you for the beautiful men and women that call this place their home. I thank you for it, Lord. I pray right now, Jesus, that you would grant us your grace and mercy. Let this house be a house of worship and a lighthouse. Let it be a beacon of what the love of God can do. I thank you for the truth today. I thank you for the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I thank you, Lord. Help us to add to our faith today a spirit of humility and compassion like we've never had before. I pray it now. I pray for our city and our community in this area and our state. I pray for our nation. I pray for every person, Lord. Let the love of God start to spread out in this place. We need it so desperately now. Let there be compassion, hope. I pray, Lord Jesus, let the church rise up. Position the church, Lord, for a mighty end-time revival. Position the church. Wherever you are, at home or here, I don't know how you want to express this back to God, but I want you to pray that the Lord would help you, help God do something in your heart, in your spirit, to change your spirit. I want you to pray that the Lord would help you with compassion and love and respect and honor and tenderness. I want you to pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Oh, God, for me, for me. That's right. Come on, we're doing it. We're doing it right now. Thank you, Lord.